All right, we're going to get started here. What a what a week um, in all respects. I mean, we're just halfway through the week here on a Wednesday. And uh, it's definitely off to an exciting start, we shall say, in the crypto space. Um, and f on all fronts, like when we look at the charts, when we look at what's happening, when we look at HBAR and Hedera, and then all sorts of other things happening outside of even the Hedera ecosystem. Just wild. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of people sharing their opinions now. Like that's kind of one thing that I'm noticing is like, it's been a bear market and, you know, we saw all the reports, all the charts, all the metrics. We've talked about the fact that, you know, the number of crypto startups hit an all-time low. And we talked about, um, you know, general sentiment around crypto declining. But right now, it might not be the case that, you know, everything's hunky-dory and everything's, you know, you know, we're, we're in a bull market or something. Not quite yet. But what I will say is that um, the level of conversation and attention that crypto is getting in, in all ways is definitely increasing. And so to me, it kind of like, it brings a few things to mind. And I like real quick, before we get into the show, I wanted to just um, bring this back to the, the kind of Hedera world and something that has really stuck with me this year was something that the um, co-founder of Hedera, Mance Harmon, said when he was asked the question about, um, you know, we're in a bear market. When do you see the bear market ending? Um, and Mance Harmon kind of, I think, hit the nose a little bit, hit it right on the nose when he said... Um, he and, and the uh, mind you, this interview was given in the summer, so this was months ago. But Mance Harmon said he doesn't see a bull market happening for another um, year to eighteen. Like I think he said nine to eighteen months. So that would place us next summer. He says he doesn't see anything happening that would act as a catalyst to um, a bull market happening before that time, and that until then we should expect. Um, things to generally, you know, not be right into a bear market, but we're not going to see a lot of excitement. And that's, I think, kind of been a shared sentiment. But Mance did say something that stuck out to me, which was a bit of an asterisk. He said, um, you know, if there's going to be a catalyst for the bull market to kick off um, a little earlier, he said it would come from Wall Street. And that was really interesting to me because even, you know, back in the summer, right, co-founder of Hedera really is looking in the same areas that we're looking. And he says specifically, you know, I don't really pay attention to price. I don't pay attention to transactions happening on the network. He said, really what it comes down to right now is the U.S. government and the policies in place and the fact that the current, you know, administration in the U.S. Um, and the president are going to be in office for a little while longer and that will you know when when there is some form of switch up that ultimately will dictate policy and 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 what wall street will do 
But as we have been seeing, there's there's been an increased, you know, ever since I'd say the summer, definitely into this fall, there's been increased activity by Wall Street in the crypto space um, in, in all sorts of different fronts. And that's been very interesting to see. Um, so for me, I kind of look at that and I go, I really think that the ball is starting to roll a little bit. People will bring up um, a snowball effect real quick. I'm just messaging um, John Wingate on the Twitter DMs, the CEO of Bank Social. I think he'd like to come on the show to talk about what they're working on. Um, let me see here. I'll bring you up in 20. Smile face. I love using a smile face. Um, and people talk about the snowball effect. So kind of what I'm seeing here is, you know, this little snowball has, I feel it's kind of been released and nothing really crazy is happening. I mean, of course, there was the events from yesterday that we'll talk about, but, um, you know, I think that the, the ball's rolling now. And I think it, of course, will take time for that snowball to grow, you know, hoping that it doesn't hit any trees on the way down the hill. But, you know, I think that something's been set in motion. A lot of people think we're going to go lower. A lot of people think that the bear market is far from over. Um, and there could be an argument made for both sides. And I just feel that the argument for, um, in general, for a bullish um, outlook, that argument is growing stronger, in my opinion, um, especially sitting in the Hedera ecosystem. Um, and yeah, we got some cool stuff going on real quick off the top. Um, last week we had episode 100 of the show, which was incredible. It was a three and a half hour show, um, 14 guests, um, including, let me see here. I'm going to go to it's slash H bar. That's where you go. If you need information about the show, which I do right now. We had, you know, guests like Rob Allen, Patches, King Solomon, Coinman, the social media manager for Hedera. Um, we did a giveaway and we recapped the last 50 episodes. So basically like the whole last year in Hedera. And I keep detailed notes on every episode. So there's a lot to go into. So if you're, if you didn't get a chance to listen to episode 100, it, it, it's three and a half hours. So it's almost like two episodes in one and it's it's, you know, it's pretty timeless. It's, it's, it's just, if you want a good idea of what happened in the last year in Hedera, listen to that episode. I think it's probably the best uh, way to kind of get the download, especially if you're new to the ecosystem, it, it might actually be a cool way to catch up on, on what's going on. So just wanted to say a huge thank you to uh, all the listeners, all the supporters of the show. Um, I think, I think we got like, 4,500 H bar worth of contribution contributions just that day alone for the show, which is incredible. And I'm excited to be uh, making some upgrades to the show very soon, which is incredible. So anyways, huge shout out to everyone um, who tuned in for that marathon. Also a pro tip you can on, you know, podcast platforms and YouTube and stuff. You can listen at like, you know, 150x speed or something like that so maybe you can shorten it down a little bit 
And with that, hello from Ottawa, Canada, everyone. My name is Brandon Davenport, a.k.a. it's Brandon D. It is Wednesday, November 22nd, and you're listening to episode 101 of the Hashgraph Enthusiasts show. Resistance is futile. This is a weekly news show where we cover the top 10 stories related to Hedera, HBAR, and everything in between. Listen live on X Spaces every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other platforms to hear past episodes. Also, catch the Hashgraph Enthusiast interview episodes. Um, so I've got some cool interviews planned starting next week with some interesting people that I think, um, you know, are going to be an interesting interview. Um, I'll talk a little bit maybe next week about who those folks are going to be. Uh, but I'm booking up some interviews. Get all the if you need about the show and subscribe at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. For folks listening live on X Spaces now, check out the post pins at the top for a list of our top 10 stories we're going to talk about today. Also take a moment to share the spaces with your friends. And if you've got some interesting news people should know about, click the comment button on the bottom right and I'll talk about it. Um, and for folks listening to the podcast on all the different platforms out there like YouTube and stuff like that, leave a comment, break down your thoughts on what we talk about today. Let's keep the conversation going. The Hedera mainnet has been averaging 2,000 transactions per second, which is pretty wild. Um, I wonder what we're at right now. Uh, 2,200 TPS. That's crazy. Um when we look back at the beginning of this year, you know, we were at single digit TPS. Now we're averaging, you know, over 2000 transactions per second. That's pretty nuts. Um, so that's wild. Um, Hedera launched the smart contract verification um, capabilities on the network. So you can go to hash scan. You can verify smart contract. This is for security. This is something that a lot of people um, looking to build on Hedera have been crying out for. So we talked about it extensively in previous episodes. Um, but um, yeah, big news. Hedera published a blog article, so it's official. It's exciting. I dig it. Um, HBAR Tata, um, who's listening right now, shout out. They uh, put out a tweet that I thought was funny. Um, the Hedera services version 0.44.0 um, one of the, uh, improvements listed was, um, new and improved ASCII art, which is kind of the, you know, this kind of text-based artwork you'll see when you're, you know, booting up the Hedera software, which I thought was funny. Um, a very important element in my opinion. Atma put out their fall update with some new features and stuff like that. Validation cloud, um, has launched. Their Hedera mainnet full mirror node history with JSON RPC relay to production. So you can now seamlessly consume and interact with this data through your endpoints. So basically, the whole network has become um, more accessible and the full mirror node history has become accessible. So this really uh, accelerates the types of things that you can do on the network for developers. Um, HGraph. Uh, put out a Wallet Connect demo for Testnet. So that's coming along. Um, as folks know, I'm 
doing projects management for the community portion of that initiative. So just wanted to give a quick update. Um, very, very cool. Lots of progress being made there. Um, Sphero World is doing their NFT INO, uh, part partnering with, I believe, Headstarter and Cora. So basically this is a sports um, use case. We're talking about potentially millions of users um, interacting with the network for sports. I dig it. I like it. Um, just going to, you know, get through a few quick things here before we get to our main stories. Um, yesterday, Dead Pixels gave an update um, regarding their project. Essentially, um, ghost holders are going to receive um, one new Dead Pixels ghost for each ghost they hold. And then the, the uh, passes, you'll get two. So they're basically kind of expediting the roadmap of their project. Um, so shout out to those guys. They did a long spaces yesterday. If you're curious, go listen to it. They put out an announcement. Um, it feels like the Hedera NFT ecosystem is waking up. Um, also too, uh, one of the, the co-founders, Ray, just kind of unrelated um, from Dead Pixels, they put out a tweet November 16th that said, um, Hello, Chainspect. Can we get a thousands separator, comma? I know it only affects HBAR, but still. So for folks unfamiliar, Chainspect is a website where you can kind of see the transactions per second for different networks. And obviously, Hedera is number one. And because Hedera is, you know, in the thousands of TPS, um, you know, they just, I guess they haven't had a network that has hit that before. So they just haven't had... Um, a separator, like a comma for the thousand. So funnily enough, Chainspect responded and added it. So a little feature. I like that. It's funny. It's quirky. I like to see it. Um, a great um, HBAR technical analysis post. I, I, I posted it to my feed, so go and check it out. But basically, um, you know, the, uh, who does it? Uh, at dude bra whoa um, on Twitter or sorry, X, he does some great technical analysis for HBAR. Um, he put out some charts, some visualizations that I found were, were pretty interesting, but basically they say, HBAR closed above the weekly wedge break after a retest today, and this was yesterday. It lost the full price action wedge breakout on the daily chart. However, not a big deal, still above the more important white wedge on that chart too. So you can go and look at those charts um, it is uh, astrology for H barbarians, but can also help you get an idea of what's going on. So shout out. Um, Dovu, a uh, little shakeup with the CEO. They announced a new CEO earlier this year, um, and they are now going to keep their existing CEO. So that is an update from Dovu. They also put out a, a very interesting post today or yesterday. No, today. This is fresh um, that I thought was was pretty cool. They say, quote, imagine a platform where environmental projects can mint their own credits, upload AI created MRV documents measured against UN approved methodologies and market slash sell these digital credits across a wide range of markets, all on chain with zero tech knowledge. This is Dovu OS. Um I interviewed the CTO of Dovu, Matt Smith. He's on episode 90. Go listen to that. We take a deep dive into the roadmap, but 
Dobu doing some cool stuff. Um, I thought that was awesome. Good to see. Uh, XP Network um, did a little partnership thing in spaces uh, with Hedera, where basically, I believe yesterday, Patches from Swirls Labs was able to port his Dead Pixels NFT to Ethereum. Um, so basically, you know, this XP Network platform is a new system where, you know, Hedarians, H barbarians who hold NFTs are going to be able to move those NFTs around to different networks, which is very cool. I think that last year, uh, Hashport added the ability as well for people to do that. Uh, but this is kind of a new level of it. I think there's like 20 networks they support, but anyways, very cool. Um, again, we're starting to see the NFT space wake up a little bit. Uh, what else we got going on here? Um, yeah. So we're going to dive into our main stories today. Um, our first story, Galaxy DMs. Um, this kind of took the crypto world by storm in a real way. Um, so I actually had a great time hanging with uh, Solo, the CEO of Galaxy in LA. Um, we were talking about some cool stuff. And they've got a very interesting roadmap. They're working on some really big stuff. And one of those things is the ability to send crypto to people through direct messages, right? DMs. And essentially, this turns Galaxy into the type of wallet that, you know, over the holidays, you'd be able to show your family. They could set up an account. They'd be able to hold some crypto and send crypto back and forth, um, you know, using DMs. It's a very intuitive thing to do. And as we know on Hedera, sometimes it's tough with, you know, token association. So you can also send collectibles back and forth, right? NFTs. So I was able to send some NFTs back and forth to people on Galaxy. I was able to send um, HBAR and um, USDC um, and Galaxy, just testing it out, having some fun uh, via DMs. And it's really cool the way that it's done and it's all happening on the Hedera network. So for me, you know, Galaxy is really be positioning themselves as, you know, for sure they are a, you know, social type network running on Hedera. You know, that's one aspect. But this particular aspect, the ability to send and receive crypto via DMs, um, kind of, you know, elevates the wallet portion of what they're doing. And for me, you know, when I look at how can we get more people excited about crypto or um, let family members or friends that maybe aren't familiar with it kind of reach out and, and play around with it, uh, this is really, you know, one of the first ways that could be done. And it was exciting because on CNBC, um, Solo and Spencer Dinwiddie of, you know, NBA fame, uh, the uh, co-founder of Galaxy, um, were on CNBC, live interview, um, talking about this feature. So, right. So really accessing a, you know, a broader audience, kind of the audience that might find this really interesting, just, you know, sending crypto via DMs very quickly. And I got to say, you know, I've always shared my opinion that in the technology industry, you live or die by a great 
demo, right? And I think that the best demos in technology are done, you know, for real, live, um, you know, in, in a way that is that is very close to the surface, right? It's not a it's not a pre-planned thing. It's not a pre-recorded thing. It's not a scripted thing. And so, uh, solo live on CNBC um, sent Spencer Dinwiddie uh, some USDC using the Galaxy DMs feature live on the show, and that was a really great demo. Um, you know, I think another thing that makes a demo great is when you get nervous watching it. There's a certain quality to it. I think that you know we all can refer to you know the the early iPhone demos that Steve Jobs would do. It's like if there's a possibility of something going wrong, right? If there's like a risk to something breaking during the demo, it's it really is that that element that elevates a demo, makes it exciting. So um, I gotta say, bravo to the Galaxy team. That was a great demo. It I, I it was shared by so many different people, and you know they're clearly working on some big stuff. And I don't know what more needs to be said. I mean one of the best things about this is there really isn't a ton of like explanation or stuff to dive into it. It is really that simple. It's just, you know, you, you make a galaxy account using your you know phone number or whatever. Um, it's like a little social thing. You create a wallet and you throw some crypto in there and you can send people crypto via DMS very, very much like Venmo or something like that. And that's pretty much it, you know? So I, I really dig it. And one last thing on that is uh, as long as it remains economically viable for their company and their platform, um, they're going to be covering the gas fees for those transactions, which further, you know, removes friction for people. So um, if someone maybe doesn't necessarily hold, you know, HBAR in their wallet to pay for those network fees, they don't have to worry about it. So um, I dig it. I think it's great. I love it. Um, our second story of the day is uh, just about, you know, my feed is full of HBAR charts um, and not in the way that I'm used to seeing. I'm very used to seeing, you know, I look at the people listening right now, you know, and, you know, I, I, I a lot of you guys, you know, will we'll be sharing you know, hey, here's what HBAR is doing. This is exciting. Um, and that's great. We'll see sometimes too HBAR trending on, on X. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's fun. But recently, I've been seeing a lot of folks that I don't recognize. A lot of folks that have more than, you know, 10, 50, 100,000 followers um, that regularly do technical analysis for all sorts of different assets, right? Like Solana or XRP or Bitcoin or Cardano or whatever, whatever the, you know, the top 10, you know, cryptos would be. Um, that's kind of what they do. And recently, um, I think because of the, the momentum that Hedera has started to kind of build up a little bit, I'm starting to see those folks sharing some technical analysis um, specifically for Hedera and HBAR. And I find that really interesting. And it, and it's, I don't quite know what it's about, but it's it's very clear that there's been a shift. 
Um, and I don't know what specifically has grabbed their attention. I mean, we've had a lot of exciting things this year so far. Um, maybe it's just a culmination of all of those things, or maybe it's literally just as simple as, you know, HBAR saw, um, you know, a 30% rise. Um, maybe it's also because, you know, folks are starting to, you know, understand more and more the delineation between what a hash graph is and what a blockchain is, or, you know, a, a first or second, you know, generation DLT is. And it's just really interesting to me. So I'm seeing those charts in my feed, but also um, starting this year, but I think now kind of ramping up a little bit, uh, we started to see a lot of, you know, interviews from, you know, bigger names in the ecosystem, um, interviewing people, you know, inside of Hedera, which has been really interesting. So, you know, that's kind of just a trend that I'm seeing, um, you know, continue. It's very interesting to me. Um, there's also this kind of conversation around like this big, uh, there's a there's a uh, technical analysis indicator called a MACD, which is basically, it's like this, this moving average combination of two moving averages. Um, but anyways, there's this big kind of moment unfolding from a technical analysis standpoint on HBAR. So there's a lot of conversation around that. Um, there's, you know, conversations, you know, spreading through, you know, websites, you know, like 4chan or Reddit. Um, there's more memes being created. So there's, I'm just noticing a little bit of that retail, um, I wouldn't say euphoric, but like that, that kind of retail attention on HBAR in a, in a kind of a bit of a fresh way. Um, and that's just something I've been seeing in my timeline, which is, uh, very, very fascinating to me. Um, and maybe I'll talk about it and touch on it a little bit later in the show. But um, right now, we've got John Wingate up from Bank Social. And the exciting news from Bank Social recently is um, they've proposed um, the, I guess he pronounced it, DeFi Federal Credit Union. Um, and I want to know a little bit more about that. So I know it's kind of this first digital native self-custody credit union that's integrating DLT, specifically Hedera, um, and you're kind of aiming to serve that global Web3 community with, you know, these new financial services um, and, you know, doing that through the bank social app. So you're going to have like these, you know, new know your customer tools, uh, that kind of DREC key recovery um, and real-time payment solutions with, I believe, the Rivia stablecoin. Um, so really curious about that. And I think that, you know, off the bat, um, one of my main questions for you, John, because I know you've, you've sp spoken about this quite a bit in the community, but when I talk with people in the ecosystem about traditional finance leveraging Hedera, usually people are excited about those concepts, of course, and like ways they can grow the network and the future and stuff. But it definitely feels, you know, distant and abstract to a lot of people. You know, maybe they have a hard time seeing how it's going to impact their daily life. It's a bit of a, you know, the the waiting game and the patience and a lot of these proof of concepts. But to me, it feels like your use case is a little closer to the surface in regards to leveraging the network services, impacting everyday lives of regular people. Um, so just kind of, you know, on that point, I'm really curious to kind of see um, you know, what's going over at what's going on over at Bank Social? What are you most excited about? Thanks so much, Brandon. Yeah. Um, so this is actually the first time I'm publicly, at least on Twitter, talking about um, the, the proposed DeFi Federal Credit Union. 
Um, so I'm happy to be kind of giving you guys the first and, and exclusive here. Uh, what I would say just generally before I get into kind of what the proposed DeFi credit union means and, and what it could do for all of us, um, you know, to answer your, your first kind of or, or the latter part of your uh, comments there. What, what we what we believe is that, you know, there's a bunch of great use cases that are that are being piloted and, and have been proposed and are even in, in the works. Right. Or even uh, actively working and driving a lot of TPF. The the difference between what we are doing and what kind of some of those things are doing is even though they're impactful both to the network and then, you know, they even they even impact financial ecosystems. And we can talk about the hows and whys. We took a different approach to um, to how we wanted to utilize these networks. And what we wanted to do is give a use case to the network that not only was something that you could watch TPS on, but that you could also be a part of the utilization of the network, something that impacted the the person directly, the, the HBAR community, the, our community, and the greater world eventually. One thing that I like to say is that, you know, we, we need to steer away from building technologies that, um, you know, require the, the heavy hand or the, the experience of a Web3 native. And what we really need to start doing is building applications that just work like an Uber would work or, or work like some of these push button applications would work. And that's what in our bank social app and what we're doing with all the components we've built on Hedera and alongside uh, Hedera. Um, that's what we focused on is putting something in the end user's hands and the regular user's hands that doesn't have to be a Web3 native, but that gets all the benefits of what Web3, um, of what Web3, you know, can, can provide. And let me, let me say something here real quick about what Web3 means to me, because I think a lot of people, you know, they, they associate it with cryptocurrencies and they associate it with distributed ledgers and certainly those are those are part of web3 but web3 is something a lot bigger than those concepts so with web1 you know it's all about security everything from web1 to web3 is all the difference is the security mechanism of the those periods of time so in web1 you had the phone number the phone number was issued by the local phone company so the local phone company would vet a business then they would issue a bank of phone numbers and then you dial into them. And that was your, that was your secure socket layer, if you will. That was your SSL of the early days. There was no SSL technically and everything was done through the trusted cert authority of the phone company and the issuance of a phone number. And then web two came along and everybody was kind of connected all the time. And, and now you had to, you had to have a different mechanism because the phone number was no longer a trusted intermediary. It was, it was now everybody's connected and who can I trust? And Web 2 was about SSL, HTTPS. And that was the mechanism for Web 2 to proliferate. So things like the, the apps we use today, um, e-commerce, all of those were not possible without, uh, forget the internet and forget all that, they wouldn't be possible without the, the concept of SSL, HTTPS. And to me, that's Web 2. And what's happening now here in Web 3 is we're moving to, a, to an economy and ecosystems that are trustless, and work on the basis of what I'm calling nano certs, okay? Nano cert authorities. And what that means is that every wallet, every program, every application, every entity can now create its own cert authority. And because of these trustless systems, people with their public and private keys, which is essentially what was happening during Web 2, is happening during Web 2. You get a public and a private key, you sign a transaction, it happens. Those mechanisms are now 
we're able to to put those into every single transaction that we have. And because a wallet represents a, a entity or, or a user or a use case or a program or an instant in time, we can now start to build these trustless economies where, let me give an example of what the difference between a Web 2 version and a Web 3 version would be and why Web 3 is better. You have a, in Web 2, you have five bank accounts and your computer gets hacked. And now all of a sudden you're having to call every single one of those institutions to get your account closed, to get your account suspended, to hopefully, because the FDIC can't step in and give you your money back if somebody hacks your money and takes it out. The bank certainly won't give you your money back. And you're the burden is now on you to go in there and tell each one of those entities to cancel your account and do whatever needs to be done. With Web3 and the ability for when you get a Chase account or when you get a, a credit union account, the ability for those entities to sign your wallet and create a trustless environment where no PII has to be shared or or any PII has to, that has to be shared comes from you. But because of the way cryptography works, a company can sign my payload, a verification company like our company Verified and Bank Social can verify a person, sign the payload, but we're not creating the honeypots of the Web2 world like the, the Experian where they have to give data to everybody. Those e ecosystems no longer need to exist. And so what happens in the Web3 world is that if my wallet gets hacked and I start to notice funky, I can immediately revoke certs and those certs now that people are using, that a company is using, so a credit union or a bank is using to say, okay, somebody's making an attempt to log in. Let me, in addition to a username and password, let me also authenticate against the certs that everybody signed. Oh, those certs have been revoked. Sorry, no access for you. We can start, and that's a one button push for you and your wallet to revoke those certs. And you've now given no authority to anybody who used those certs anymore to use those certs. These are the types of mechanisms that Web3 provides, and these are the types of mechanisms that we are employing. So while Defy Federal Credit Union, the post proposed credit union, is a great, you know, it's great, it's exciting. What's more exciting is this concept of open banking, because everything we do on a daily basis, whether we like it or not, revolves around financial transactions, everything we do. And, you know, right now in Web 2, because of the way this whole centralized cert authority concept has to work, Visa takes a, a billion dollars in fees per day. That's that's almost half a trillion dollars a year in fees, in fees. OK, and so grasp the enormity of the problem here. When you take and look at we, we like to blame, blame central banks and the Fed and all the all these people. Certainly they're not blameless. I don't know that they are the, the real crux of our problem, because when you when you have systems that are just for the purpose of saying, oh, yeah, I'll let you. It, it's a right, Brandon. If I want to pay you for something you've done for me, that's that's our right as as natural humans living on Earth. We shouldn't be beholden to these external systems that only exist so that they can scrape the maximum to, can we get 2.3 or 2.7? Will they give us two points? Oh, they gave us 2.7% of their, of their money this time. That $50, everybody in this room, you know, we've got, you know, 50 people in this room. If everybody in this room, if, if I paid the next person, if I paid Sphera and Sphera paid you and, and, and you paid to the next person and we're all using credit cards, by the time we get to the end of this room, we can't even pay the last few people. Whereas you, you think about a cash type of mechanism, and that's why people are hesitant to give up cash. It's really that inherent feeling of we're paying these networks 
and exorbitant, exorbitant. They're old. They're 40, 50 years old at this point. I mean, these are antiquated systems. And because of Web3, we can remove these intermediaries that we've had to rely on because of this centralized cert authority concept of Web2. And we can break that apart and start to incorporate things like the Hedera network. Things like uh, decentralized identity on the Hedera network, things like, um, you know, token gating through fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens on the Hedera network. And and we've even, you know, just this morning I had a, I had a call with Greg Scullard where we were really diving into some really exciting use cases using smart contracts that were migrating over and the ability to do things that no other DLT can even come close to touching is now right in our hands and in our fingertips. And we're super excited about bringing this concept. Again, the, the proposed DeFi Federal Credit Union is great, but we're more excited and credit unions in general are more excited about this concept of open banking where you can have five bank accounts in a single wallet that live right alongside your digital assets and you can move in and out of them. We're actually one of the first, I think, companies focused on DLT and Web3 We've been integrated with RTP, FedNow, and and pretty much you know the Visa network, all the all the rails you can think of, for you know at least a year now. So we've been secretly you know behind the scenes integrating all these tools with with credit unions. We believe we call credit unions. I think you guys have heard me say this a couple times before. Analog DeFi. They really are decentralized finance because they do things like loan participation. They they have this network concept called shared branching, where two or three credit unions or 20 or 50 or 100 credit unions in an area will share branching and will allow somebody to walk in and take money out of that account, even though it's from another bank account. Chase doesn't do that. Wells Fargo doesn't do that. Nobody does that. Only credit unions do that. Well, their challenge is that all these legacy incumbents, I'm not going to name names because I don't, I don't want to right now, but all these legacy incumbents, you guys know who they are. They make it super hard or they deliver a really poor member experience or they deliver a really poor subset of technologies that aren't forward thinking, that aren't, you know, visionary in nature. It's really just like the last 20 years just being carried forward. And that's what you're stuck with. And I think banks, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, Maybe it's active, uh, it's active suppression could also be subconscious suppression because they understand that when open finance is allowed to proliferate, no longer will we be be beholden to the chases and the Wells Fargo's and the shareholders. I can't blame Jamie Dimon for doing what he's doing because he runs a company that is beholden to shareholders and his fiduciary responsibility is to maximize shareholder profit. I can't be mad at him. We should be mad at ourselves. If we don't create the solutions that can utilize things like Hedera, that can utilize DLT and Web3 technologies to free us, we have the opportunity to free ourselves from these uh, these obligations that we're forced into. And that's really at the end of the day, when we look at what our main core focus is, it's impacting and empowering people to self-custody, to self-direct um, to do all these things that we know Web3 can can do um, to, to provide financial freedom, to lower costs, to lower risk. I was talking with the NCUA, which is basically the FDIC. Becky and I were talking with the NCUA just uh, two days ago. And one of the things they were asking us, they asked me specifically, they said, do you see banking accounts and checking accounts going away? I said, no. I said, that's the wrong way to look at it. We see them evolving. So what happened, you know, back in the, the 60s and 50s, um, before computers came out, 
You know how they did uh, bank accounts and checking accounts with paper. It was all done with paper. Banks have been around for for hundreds of years. It was all done with paper, right? And then what happened when when technology kind of gave us the next leap forward? We went to spreadsheets, and then we went to databases, and now we're moving to distributed ledgers. This is not a, a new concept. It's a new implementation, right? And each version, each iteration, made made the cost of and the and the support of and the risk and the fraud and all that. Each iteration. Those fees and those costs and those risks, they went down, right? When you move from paper to spreadsheets, the risk and the cost went down. The op the OPEX went down. When you move from X spread spreadsheets to databases, the cost went down. And now we're seeing this evolution, an order of magnitude, or maybe you know, two or three orders of magnitude uh transition into DLT and Web3 that are gonna do things like 25% of the OPEX of a financial institution is earmarked for fraud and cost of payments, okay? And because these systems are so batch and they're not transactional, they're all batch, all these all these cores and all these systems operate purely in batch, literally at night. They pull in all the files from the Fed. They send out all the files to the Fed um, and they close down for an hour while they process everything. And because of the nature of those systems, there are rules and the, the bank will have to create a rule that says, okay, either you do 20 transactions a month, right? And I get the fees from that and I can now uh, cover the cost of your uh, of your account, or you have to maintain a $5,000 minimum balance. And the only reason why those types of mechanisms exist is because everything is batch. And it's very hard to say, oh, okay, well, Brandon only did five transactions this month. I should only charge him this much because that's not how these systems work. They're not efficient enough. These existing systems are not efficient enough to take those types of considerations into an economic uh, policy and economic framework and deliver a an experience that's tailored to you. With Web3 and with distributed technology and specifically with Hedera, Hashgraph, we can and we are. It's not that, that we can and we have this thought and this idea in the future to do these things. This is what we are doing. We already have, um, you know, over, I think at this point, we have 50 credit unions that are signed up for our open banking platform in different formats. Some of them are using our, our crypto exchange. Some of them are using our uh, digital asset exchange. Some of them are using our decentralized identity solution, portable decentralized identity. We reduce fraud. We reduce PII. We reduce risk. Some of them are, are using our Rivia network for payments through FedNow, our stablecoin. And all of this is happening on top of and in coordination with Hedera transactions that not just not just systems are able to use, but people are able to use. Because at the end of the day, if we don't put it in the hands of the people, we can't abstract away the centralized custodians of the the Web two world. That's uh, that's really fascinating, and I th you know it's funny because I had a bunch of notes on this, and as you were talking, I was just checking off all the different points that I kind of wanted to bring up. That was like a really great. Um, overview of this and a really tangible overview. I find that again, like, you know, with the question I asked, a lot of this stuff, um, the promise of it, the value proposition is exciting and the future seems bright, but it's so abstract and so distant. So this definitely, as you've described, it's, it's not just a little closer to the surface. It's already, you know, it's about components that are already in action. And you hit on two things that I think are really important that I talk about on the show a lot, which is um, inefficiencies 
and disruption and kind of the interplay between those two things. And I think that this use case in particular highlights that really well because um, in the context of Hedera, um, you know, I talk about it on the show kind of saying, well, if you have um, an industry, right, the crypto industry that really depends on, you know, fees, right, hidden in, you know, ga you know, the gas for transactions and you have a technology like Hedera um, that really disrupts that, you really talk about just this, you know, wider inherent um, trend in any industry, which is um, there's a lot of revenue and opportunity to be captured when it comes to inefficiencies and keeping certain inefficiencies in place. And when you have a disruptive technology, um, that it threatens a lot of those revenue models. You know, you brought up Jamie Dimon, which is a great example, and, you know, some of these, you know, credit card processing systems. And so when you have a disruptive technology or, or in your case, right, a, a pretty disruptive, um, uh, you know, use case, and you start to, to threaten those inefficiencies a little bit and, the, and the, the revenue and value those inefficiencies create, that's where it starts to get really interesting. And, you know, when we talk about um, how this use case in particular and just in the space you're in, how that moves forward and these exciting things that can happen, are you currently feeling or are you expecting to come up against certain headwinds or um, as, you know, as a disruptor utilizing a disruptive technology? Is that a component of this? Is that kind of in your field of view? Um, you kind of touched on it a little bit. But I'm curious, just, you know, touching on that kind of inefficiencies and disruption and the resistance that an industry can have to stuff like this. So the first the first thing I'll say there is that we believe that the people control the people have the power. They need to be given the tools. The people, though, really, when we unite and when we come together and it doesn't have to be a massive community, it can just be us and we can just coalesce around an idea and a technology and an, and an opportunity and we can drive that forward. And the reason why we focused on the non-for-profit credit union space is because we get access to the financial ecosystems that shape our lives every day. And it's done in a way that focuses on people over profits. Okay. And you, I, I say this all the time, the new kind of the new, uh, corporate responsibility model. Okay. You still have to focus on profits because you can't have a business. You can't have investors. There are ways though, to be corporately responsible, to not have to be somebody who controls the entire kind of experience from a, Hey, I'm the centralized intermediary and we can create tools that empower people. And if we focus on the people in this new world with, with all the connectedness that we have and this focus on humanity, the new corporate responsibility model is not just buying uh, some, some, um, you know, carbon credits from root seat, you know, tree root sequestration that can't even be measured. That's that's not really the new corporate responsibility. The new corporate responsibility is focusing on people, is focusing on humanity, is focusing on how we can create equalities, how we can reduce costs, how we can create efficient capital markets. I mean, if you look at, let's take a use case that we don't even have, and but that's built on Hedera and what, what uh, Atma and they're doing with trade finance, where they're tracking and they can release funds. Think about what that does to the cost of capital. So a manufacturer now who has some trade finance line or some factoring line is paying some ungodly amount of money. And the only reason that's happening is because when when a 
you know, when a when a company, let's call it Bed Bath and Beyond, that's not the Atma use case, but this is one that I'm very familiar with because this is what I've built before. When Bed Bath and Beyond receives goods into a warehouse, they cut that check pretty much immediately. It's it's the intermediaries that release those funds that want to hold it till the last possible second to get as much of the interest out of that because that's their only way to make money before releasing it, right? And the cost of that that holding back is what we can wipe away. And that's what that's what the use case on Hedera, I think, is a, is a tremendous kind of step in that direction. And so what we need to focus on, we call it kind of marketing 5.0, a key component of corporate responsibility in this future state in the next five to 10 years is going to be focusing on humanity and impacting the lives of people and bringing equality to situations, reducing costs, reducing fraud. I'm sick and tired of hearing about every two weeks how my information has been uh, gotten from Experian again. It's like how much more, how many more times can they take the same information, my information out of Experian? Um, I'm just sick and tired of that. And we don't have to live with these systems anymore. The technology is advanced such. We've got a, you know, the genius of, of uh, Dr. Baird and, and Mr. Harmon was creating a decentralized yet regulatory compliant framework that we can all utilize and get the benefits of because the, the way the council was formulated, we can trust that these public companies, you know, it's hard to trust a single public company who can still do things behind closed doors. And I've said this a lot. It is it is orders of magnitude less difficult to trust 39 or right now 29, 30 companies to trust 30 companies to not collude in, an, in a way that is, by the way, it's immutable. So even if they collude, do you know why Sam Bankman-Fried was brought to justice with fraud uh, with a f- with fraud indictments and then convictions faster than anybody else in history, it's because they had an immutable record of his fraud and his lying. He said one thing on the other side. They asked him to show the wallets. He couldn't show the wallets. Fraud, which is the highest burden of proof to 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 uh, prove in any legal situation, they pierced that with a single arrow in two months. It's unprecedented. The the speed at which we can now and the the ability to hold people accountable is unprecedented in these new economies. And and the council understands that and they know that this is the new corporate governance, the new corporate responsibility model. And it's the, that's the real genius. You know, love the love the hash graph, love the the way the technology is just able to scale. It really becomes hard to do that without the council. So that's the mechanism that we have been, you know, gifted with from the mind of of Manson Lehman here. Oh, I think John might be getting a phone call. Okay. Hold on. But this happens yeah, on Twitter. Oh, yeah, you're back I, now. I, Perfect. Am I back? All right. So yeah, you're good. Not not only do we have the ability to utilize this technology, but it's our it's our um we have to we can control because of the way Web three and distributed ledger technologies work. We're no longer bound. I can't tell you how how long it took us to get you know, Visa rails and FedNow rails and RTP rails. We got them because we know what we're doing and we're doing things in a compliant and regulatory manner. And we we intend to continue using those rails because we see those rails as part of those solutions into the future. Uh, we do have to make those rails live alongside and work interoperably and seamlessly on DLT. You know, even if it's just using something like HCS, the consensus service. I mean, we even have a tool that allows a core that's built on Oracle to 
um, as a as a nightly backup happens, we can hash that and we can turn that hash, uh, the blob hash, into a HCS checkpoint. And now when a regulator comes in, a regulator without, because of the immutability of the hash and the mathematical uh, certainty of what those hashes mean to the data set that we're uh, encapsulating or hashing, a regulator can walk in and without without a doubt know that nobody for the last year up until the last day or the last two days has manipulated data because if they had, the backup that they restored from or had to clean up data from would not match the current hash uh, uh, chain and you could call somebody to the table. Um, these kinds of systems didn't exist five, six years ago. They do now. And they're sophisticated enough. I've got it. When we go talk to credit unions and we talk to, you know, investors, I have a specific page. It's one page and it shows Bitcoin. Then it shows Ethereum. Then it shows Hedera. And then it shows Bank Social. And Bitcoin came along and showed us that we don't need uh, intermediaries, right? We can we can utilize code and we can utilize complexity and cryptography to eliminate the need for a single intermediary. We can break, we can decentralize that intermediary relationship. Phase two was Ethereum. And Ethereum came, but but phase one, the problem with Bitcoin is, you know, lack of scaling, you know, cost. Uh, it, it doesn't really do anything other than just transact money, at least at that time, or just transact value. Then Ethereum came along and it introduced the idea of programmable value, right? The ability in a decentralized way to program value. The, the problem there still, though, was the governance model, the regulatory compliance, and then all the other things that you have that are problems like the cost, the, the, the being able to um, estimate a accurate cost so you can do business. You can't do business when Ethereum and Bitcoin are fluctuating and the gas fee is blowing up all over the place, depending on if you're doing it at 2 a.m. or Kitty Buttholes is dropping an NFT on Ethereum. You, you can't do business alongside those types of mechanisms. And then what Hedera solved was it focused on humanity, right? It told these council members, hey, look, what we have to really do here is we've got to come together to create a new corporate strategy, a new corporate governance model that we believe can work with the addition of these technologies. It's the marrying of those two things. And we can create a new ecosystem that directly impacts humanity in so many, in unfathomable, we can't even, we can't even think of all the ways that these technologies will impact us over the next three to five years. And Hedera solved the governance, the regulatory, the, the speed to finality, the cost of transactions. To me, it solved the, the trilemma of the blockchain trilemma problem. It solved it. And, and when you have the council and you have this trust mechanism built in where if two or three uh, council members decide to collude immutably on chain, hey, that's a shot through the heart. That's easier to probably get than Sam Bankman Freed because those are companies. They can't escape. Uh, they can't, you know, fold up shop tomorrow. Sam Bankman Freed could have jumped on his airplane and, and went wherever he wants. Good luck there. So these are the types of mechanisms and ecosystems. And, and to answer the last part of your question, Brandon, when we walk into credit unions specifically, not the same with banks, not the same with, uh, you know, a lot of these intermediaries that tend that that stand to, to lose some market share or, or stand to lose. When we go into credit unions who are built for people, who are people helping people, and they do that in a in a non-for-profit way, and their only goal is the shareholder is actually you. It's the member. It's the person at the credit union who's keeping the money in the account. When you look at that and you marry it with these concepts that we're bringing, there's a perfect marriage. And I think you've seen that um, 
a company that we're very closely working with called CU Ledger, John Ainsworth. He's been on a few uh, spaces with us. Uh, he's an amazing person, former you know head of MasterCard. Uh, it worked at Visa as well with DHawk and um, just, a, just a great person, super knowledgeable in the payment space. He also three or four years ago, and I think he was a, one of the first use cases that Hedera identified um, and, and he identified kind of mutually as something that a place where um, Hashgraph and Hedera and the council and everything we're talking about could not only have an opportunity, it could thrive. It could completely change the foundational uh, effect of how our day-to-day lives work by integrating this into the into the uh, um, credit union space. At that time, it was a little early. What's great, though, is that all those thoughts that Mance Lehman and Ainsworth had at that time, they are now manifesting. We have we have allowed for the technology to catch up and live alongside the the existing core and digital banking and, and infrastructure that the credit union have without having to make them buy all this new software and all this new hardware. And we can transactionally bolt ourselves onto with the way we've built it any credit union core, any credit union digital banking, and immediately start impacting a, uh, a member's uh, financial experience with this open banking platform that we've created. Love it. I think that that is, you know, just kind of, you know, what we've talked about and kind of what you've outlined really is like something something much more tangible for, for people uh, than we've seen before. And it's just exciting to see this, um, you know, manifesting on top of Hedera. And my last question to you is before I move on to the rest of the news here is um, switching over to kind of a call to action a little bit, right? You've mentioned that, um, you know, this this DeFi, this proposed DeFi um, platform um, is accessible to even folks outside of the US and all these different things. And we've got a lot of people that are, you know, either like just HBAR holders or Hashgraph enthusiasts that listen to the show and even folks from other ecosystems. And I think that really what it comes down to, and, and you know, I think your excitement with this is palpable. I think that um, what, what goes to people's minds next is, okay, what's the next step? How do I get involved? When is this happening? Um, can you give us kind of a, kind of a call to action or, what, what next steps look like or how people can get involved or kind of what timelines look like for this? Because it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So our open banking application, the bank social application, which includes our Secura decentralized recovery mechanism, it's the first of its kind in the world. Um, it's super exciting because it works with our credit union partners and you don't even have to be a member of the credit union. Um, that is part of our open banking application. Um, of course, our digital asset exchange in some jurisdictions is part of that experience. Um, there are a few other components I can't really talk about. The you know Because of what we're building being so unique, frankly, um, we've gone through a very uh, long process with Apple. We are finally at the end of that process because they're like, oh my God, this is this is kind of this is kind of amazing what you guys are building. And they asked, you know, so many questions just to make sure we weren't Sam Bankman Freed part two, Sam Bankman Freed squared. Um, and we've, we've finally gotten through that. So our open banking app, the bank social app uh, is going to be hitting the app store. It's actually ready to go on the play store. We just want to uh, release them in, in coordination. Um, so immediately, you know, probably before Christmas, you'll be able to download the app and there'll be a bunch of features in there that anybody, so it's got a self-custody wallet in it. Um, you know, it's got all the Wallet Connect features. It's actually, to my knowledge, the only um, uh, wallet 
that is not just either Hedera and Ethereum. It's got Bitcoin. It'll have Lightning. It'll have uh, Hedera. It'll have, uh, you know, of course, HBAR, all the tokens. It has Ethereum, BNB. It's the only multi, multi, multi-chain wallet that works seamlessly with all of your digital assets right alongside, you know, the credit card rails and, and banking rails and all those things. And so that'll be available here in the next few weeks. As far as the proposed uh, Defy Federal Credit Union, um, you can sign up right now. If you go to defy.coop, you can get in line. Um, you do have to be a member of either Block Advocates, so blockadvocates.org, or you can be a member of the Texas Blockchain Council. Those are what we call our field of membership. And the only requirement there is that you attest to being somebody who wants to advocate for uh, blockchain, digital ledger technologies, um, and that you're interested in kind of a, a revampment and a restructuring of the financial infrastructure, which I think at least all, everybody here is, and probably everybody around the world is interested in this. And so um, by joining the field of membership, by joining one of those two organizations, you immediately get access to be, uh, uh, be a, a member once we go live in that, and we'll keep everybody updated as that progresses. Um, that is not a critical part of what we're building, though. The open banking platform that allows, you know, almost anybody anywhere in the world. We're already working with the Hashgraph Association on taking this global. Most of the services that we have, like our DREC recovery, our digital asset, our self-custody wallet, that's available worldwide. Um, the things that we are working to do now is bring on more banking infrastructure in more places around the world, whether that be in India, where we're heavily focused, or Africa, where we're heavily focused, or even in places like... Um, you know, I'm not going to give our entire strategy out, but there are a few other countries that have recently uh, become hotbeds of interest for new new types of infrastructure focused on people with new leadership. And we're heavily focused on on those jurisdictions as well. And so the immediate call to action is, you know, join our Telegram group so you can be one of the first to know. Follow us on uh, Twitter. I think most people here are following following us on Twitter. And then once that app drops. You know, make sure you get your hands on that app and, you know, start playing with it. We love talking to people. We love talking to our community. Um, and then as we start to open up some of these features, um, whether that be more connections into more credit unions. So we've got, again, those those 50 so credit unions that we're connected into. Most of them you can become a member of. What we think the future of finance feels like is if you think about what the idea of a DAO is. So the DAO, a DAO spins up to attack a very specific focus. Let me give an example. There's a credit union that focuses on giving Uber drivers uh, loans for cars. And there is no other uh, financial institution that can give you a better Uber driver loan for your car experience than that focused institution. You can't do everything like a chase. That model is just rife with cost. It's rife with inefficiencies. When you try to do everything uh, decently, you can do nothing well. Um, and so what we believe the future of financial ecosystems is, is a bunch of small financial ecosystems. But in order for that to work, this space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. Well, Web3 has to be a component in the methods and the methodologies that we talked about earlier in this call, because if open banking doesn't exist and it's very hard for you to take, uh, you know, 10 grand from this institution to that institution into in one second and sign up for a loan and it just happens seamlessly, then these these systems are not going to be efficient enough 
to do the things like I said. I mean, literally the 25% OPEX that we're talking about in a in a credit union that's going towards uh, fraud, combating fraud and and uh, payment systems, we could take your your rate literally from 4% to 3% just by jumping and putting some of this stuff on Hedera and, and putting some of this into the Web3 infrastructure, the DLT infrastructure. That's the type of impact we're talking about making, not just saying, oh, cool, you know, more TPS. Yeah, we care about TPS. What we really care about is a, a different and a, and a more focused experience that allows our financial future to be unburdened by the centralized intermediaries. So um, thank you so much, Brandon. I, I love coming up here. I love your I love your show. I don't get to listen to a lot of it, but I did want to give you the exclusive on this. And we haven't um, openly discussed this with anybody else in the community yet outside of we did do a, a little uh, interview with Brandon, but you're the first kind of community broadcast that we've done in this way. So thank you so much for having me up. Appreciate it, John. And I, I definitely before the end of the year, I'll have you on the show again. Maybe we can take a bit of a deeper dive into some of this stuff. It's uh, really fascinating. And it's been awesome kind of watching the the journey of you guys in the ecosystem. And um, I mean, it really grabbed my attention, that video you posted recently. You were just like clapping and yelling and excited about stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on at Bank Social? So it was uh, it was great. One more thing that I'll say is, is we are migrating our token, our, our BNB token. And I think shortly after that, we'll be migrating the Ethereum token to fully be on chain. Uh, on Hedera natively. So we're not going to do any wrap tokens. We're, we're building everything natively. We're migrating completely. We don't, we're not really a big, not that, not that, you know, we don't think bridges have a, have a case. We don't see the need to be on BNB and Ethereum. Frankly, we, we want to move our entire infrastructure over to Hedera, including our token. And so that that's already built out. We just want to make sure that the, there's a seamless transition for existing token holders on BNB to have a nice, smooth experience and migrating over to Hedera, you know, user experience and focusing on the person is something that's super critical to us and our uh, focus as a company, kind of that corporate responsibility. That's part of that strategy. So here in the next week or so, even before the wallet drops, uh, we're going to be migrating over the token. So just be be tuned and, and be waiting for that. It will be available on SaucerSwap as the DEX that we decided to use. They have the, you know, a lot of great DEXs on, on the network. Uh, they were the ones that for all the complexities that we had in our token and our infrastructure, they were the only ones who could accommodate uh, the, all the features that we needed. So that's the reason why we, we chose uh, Saucer and they've been great. And so we can't wait to integrate deeper and deeper and deeper and get the community more access and more availability to the technologies and the, the experiences that we're creating. And we, we love you all. Thank you so much. Right on, John. You take care. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you so much, Brandon. All right. So speaking of uh, Saucer Swap, um, Saucer Swap version two launched on Friday, November seventeenth, um, and this was a pretty big one. Um, this was like their 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 version two protocol, and you know what this really was about was um, going back a little bit earlier in this year. There was you know we've and we've talked about this quite a bit on the show. You know, we talk about, um, you know, the the vote that they did for their new protocol and their new tokenomics and so many different things have moved through the pipeline from SaucerSwap's purview. So Friday it went live um, and it really kind of took things by storm. Um, they changed the way they did a lot of things. And there's a couple little nuances to it that I found really interesting. But basically the upgrade included 
um, a new concentrated liquidity market maker protocol. So that's just a different way of handling liquidity. Uh, it had a redesigned web application. They added support for MetaMask, which was really big when we talk about onboarding people into the ecosystem. Um, they had, of course, you know, as I mentioned, their new economic model, their tokenomics, um, and they have a new uh, liquidity aligned reward initiative. Larry, Larry, um, as we know that the saucer swap mascot is named Larry, uh, very, very aptly named. A major innovation in version two is concentrated liquidity, which allows liquidity providers uh, to allocate their capital within specific price ranges. Um, so that really kind of um, leads to, you know, more capital efficient use um, of the platform. And there was actually uh, a tweet that Swasser, uh, the Saucer Swap sent out um, 48 hours after their uh, launch. They said, quote, in under 48 hours, Saucer Swap version two has achieved a remarkable $10 million in total value locked. Uh, version one and version two combined TVL demonstrates a net liquidity inflow with version two's TVL now surpassing that of established concentrated liquidity market makers like SushiSwap version three on Ethereum. So really kind of at, at the launch, hitting the ground running um, with, a, with a very dramatic rate of adoption. And um, there was also something shared by um, I believe it was Nariyoshi uh, Saucer Swap shared uh, two screenshots kind of prepare, uh, comparing the version two protocol and the version one protocol. And again, that capital efficiency, which was, um, you know, they say, quote, while there is still less, and, and again, reminder, this was sent on the 18th, so like four days ago, but they said, quote, while there is still less liquidity in the Saucer Swap version two pool, the output amount received from performing an identical swap in the two pools is astronomical. So in the first uh, screenshot, it shows a trade of 5 million HBAR for HBAR X, right? And so you'd have a price impact of 6.43%. So for your 5 million HBAR, you would get uh, 3.685 million um, HBAR X, which basically would translate to a loss of $20,000. Not good. Now, if we go over to the version two protocol, and again, a liquidity pool that's much smaller than the version one, um, and you did that swap for 5 million HBAR to HBAR X, you would have a price impact of 0.2%. So losing only, looks like a couple hundred bucks on that swap. So a dramatic uh, improvement in just trading assets. So basically a big problem with Hedera DeFi um, has been, you know, sure it's great for, you know, doing swaps here and there of amounts of, you know, maybe, usually $10,000 or under, but what if someone wanted to buy, you know, a quarter million dollars in HBAR or some other asset? Um, it just, it just wasn't, it's not like it wasn't possible. It just made no sense because you'd lose, you know, five, 10, 15% of your money like that. And now on this new version two protocol, um, that is not the case, uh, which is great. So that was, a, that was a good example of, of kind of that new capital efficiency of this, of this, uh, version two saucer swap.
Um, each liquidity position held by liquidity providers is now represented by a unique non-fungible token, enabling LPs to adapt to market conditions and maximize their fee earning potential. So basically now, um, when you create a liquidity position as a provider, you get an NFT in your Hedera wallet, which represents that position. And, you know, the, the artwork is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I think that it's, it's a, it's a very interesting addition. It definitely changes, um, the, uh, dynamic of the platform and kind of how people, uh, utilize the platform. Um, version two also offers a tiered fee system based on the stability of token pairs, ensuring that LPs are compensated according to the risk level of their investments. So uh, again, adding to that capital efficiency type thing. Um, and traders pay a fee based on the pool's fee tier, like we talked about. Most of this fee, about five-sixths of it, goes to LPs, the liquidity providers, and a smaller portion, one-sixth, is directed towards buying back SAUCE tokens, which is the platform's native token. Um, and again, that basically is, is a transformative element of the tokenomics of the platform. Um, one interesting element or one of the interesting elements that kind of flies under the radar for people with saucer swap is um, although they do want to have a traditional on-chain um, ability for limit orders right which would be like saying i want to buy or sell this particular asset when it reaches this particular price um, because of this new version two uh, protocol there is almost like a, a fee earning emulation of a limit order. So in the current version two, liquidity providers can emulate a fee earning limit order. This is done by depositing liquidity into a price range that is either entirely above or entirely below the current spot price. This method allows liquidity providers to trade one asset for another along a smooth curve mimicking the behavior of a conventional limit order. So you can kind of do limit orders on saucer swap now, which is really, really interesting. Um, there's some key impacts too for um, sauce holders. Um, a portion of swap fees like we talked about in version two are used for about a sixth um, are used for sauce token buybacks, which potentially, you know, sets um, a pathway to increase its value and, and utility. Um, and the Liquidity Aligned Reward Initiative, LARI, uh, this new feature, rewards liquidity providers efficiently without the need for staking their position NFTs, right? Because you'll get an NFT for your position and you'll stake that. Um, so this kind of, um, it allows rewards in various HTS tokens, enhancing the attractiveness. So before you would be getting rewards in, you know, HBAR and Sauce, but now you can get rewards for your positions in all sorts of different tokens, um, which is very interesting. Um, a significant part of the DAO's allocation from uh, MasterChef emissions, uh, the process through which new tokens are distributed or emitted by a smart contract, is initially directed towards those LARI, uh, the, the, the LARI for incentivizing liquidity provision, impacting the distribution and circulation of SAUCE tokens on the market. So 
this update really boils down to increased capital efficiency, the ability to move money through this DEX, um, and having as little price impact as possible. And this really comes at the perfect time for, you know, as we were talking about at the top of the show, you know, a potentially impending bull market, um, you know, with MetaMask integration uh, and the ability for MetaMask users that potentially have, you know, all sorts of different assets on there to participate in Hedera DeFi um, is really, really interesting. So um, last note on this is uh, Saucer Swap status tweeted out or posted uh, yesterday, in our ongoing efforts to ensure the highest standards of performance and security, we've temporarily paused the ability to mint new liquidity position NFTs in version two uh, pools. So um, obviously doing some kind of due diligence, some checks, uh, making sure there are no issues. Um, and they basically were just reassuring people that there is no cause for alarm, but that they're just kind of um, checking things out. There was an update um, a few hours later in Discord, just letting people know that they're still um, halting the minting of the new D, uh, the version two pools. Um, so basically that's kind of where we're at for now. Just a heads up for everybody. Keep an eye out on um, at saucer status on uh, X or their Discord for updates on that. Um, Hedera, uh, right, or actually before we go into that, real quick, uh, I just wanna say thank you again um, to everybody who su is supporting and contributing to the show, um, especially the outpouring of support um, and contributions during the episode 100 last week. Um, the Hashgraph Enthusiast Show averages about 500 listeners every week on X Spaces and hundreds more on podcast platforms. Over the years, I've covered every major Hedera news event, unpacked almost every juicy rumor, and hosted countless in-depth discussions with important figures in the Hedera ecosystem. And I've been able to broadcast all of it live with you guys, which is awesome. I love doing this stuff live. If you'd like to support the show, consider making an HBAR contribution, um, and, you know, even a few bucks add up. Also, I love the kind of fun um, memos that people leave and the transactions. It just makes my day. So pin to the top of the spaces up there on the Jumbotron. Just the first post there is uh, the information where you can send an HBAR contribution to the show. Um, you can send it with your, uh, with your wallet easily. Um, also, I have enthusiast.hbar, which you can use as well. Uh, the show's full address is also in the podcast show notes, YouTube description. Um, get all the info you need about the show at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. Uh, also, too, a great way, you know, a free way to support the show. You know, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We got five stars on Apple Podcasts. We've got 4.6 stars on Spotify. So Spotify is a tough crowd. Spotify, folks, let's make it happen. Uh, and you can send tips on Galaxy as well. Or I guess DM. Yeah, you can DM on Galaxy now. Just DM some HBAR. It's wild. It's crazy. I don't want to do ads. I don't want to do sponsorships. I like the show being community supported. Uh, really appreciate you guys. So Hedera writes to the U.S. government. Um, so there's this letter. The letter, and this happened... This didn't happen this week, but I didn't really have a chance to touch on it last week with episode 100. But the letter from Hedera Hashgraph LLC was addressed to uh, Kemba E. Walden, 
acting cyber director at the office of the National Cyber Director, um, Executive Office of the President. It was also intended for the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, National Science Foundation, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, aka DARPA, and the Office of the National Cyber Director. Um, so an RFI, or Request for Information, is a standard business process whose purpose is to collect written information about the capabilities and various suppliers. In governmental or corporate context, it's typically used as a preliminary step in a procurement process. So basically, this is the U.S. government saying, you know, hey, you know, crypto industry, we're going to be doing some stuff um, and, you know, we're, you know, we're interested in, you know, your opinions, your input, um, specifically regarding open source software. So in the response, Hedera uh, said this response um, on an open source security. Uh, sorry, the so the request for information uh, on an open source software security distinguishes it in the crypto industry by demonstrating a willingness to engage with government entities. Um, so really it's like this level of engagement and focus on these aspects is, isn't always common with other layer one networks. I mean, there are, you know, the, you know, Cardano foundation um, and a few others, you know, they've, they've participated in these types of things, but it's good to see Hedera doing this, especially with the new um, chief open source officer um, at Hedera, who I believe the H uh, bar foundry is going to be interviewing later this week or next week. I can't remember, but um, very interesting stuff. Anyways, so they submitted the response to the U.S. government. The document emphasizes the importance of open source software as not just a set of licenses, but also a cultural meritocracy, collaboration, and transparency, um, and basically just saying these elements are crucial for building a trusted software ecosystem. So they provided some suggestions for the U.S. government, Hedera did, and they suggest creating an open source program office. They're calling it OSPO. Uh, to coordinate federal activities in open source software cybersecurity. They're also recommending to engage in open source projects, understand, understand and analyze cyber risks and identify barriers to participation in open source communities for government employees and contractors, aka just kind of, you know, government should get a little more immersed um, in the open source software scene. Um, also recommending the U.S. increases uh, government participation in industry consortia to analyze and impact future technologies through open source processes, and also to conduct research on vulnerable open source processes, enhance legacy systems, develop funding initiatives for open source optimization, and engage in communication channels to inform the community of U.S. agency priorities. So long short, you know, Hedera recommending that um, the government, specifically these agencies, you know, within the scope of open source software, become a little more transparent, become a little more inclusive, participate a little more in different ways. Um, so very interesting stuff. Um, Hedera highlights specifically the importance of using memory safe programming languages to, to reduce vulnerabilities and suggests offering grants, code audits, curriculum development, and developer training programs to promote their use. Um, so they also are recommending, um, the development of standards for software attestations, including security attestations, um, and software, um, composition, uh, SBOM, um, and they're suggesting activities like standardizing requirements, adopting privacy frameworks, 
releasing reference code for security attestations, regular audits, education feedback loops. Um, so that's basically, you know, in a nutshell, Hedera writing to the U.S. government regarding um, the security and transparency and, uh, you know, direction from a government standpoint of open source software. Um, and especially with what's happening right now in the crypto ecosystem and, and kind of how the government comes into it, you know, we're consistently seeing Hedera um, participating in these different ways, um, which is great to see. The other side to this too um, is Hedera also that same week wrote to the IRS, which is fascinating um, for a specific reason, which I'll which I'll touch on. But um, off the top, Hedera is basically emphasizing the need for clearer regulations that explicitly exclude layer one blockchain infrastructure providers like Hedera from being classified as brokers, aka middlemen in financial transactions. Um, so they want clearer rules for systems that charge fees on blockchain platforms. They argue that these systems should not be mixed up with broker services. Hedera explains that processing and validating messages on uh, their blockchain network, aka Hashgraph, is different from typical financial services and should not be treated the same way. So Hedera really speaking um, on behalf of the whole crypto space, just really any network um, that that you know has fee and reward mechanisms for validating messages on networks. They also suggest the definition of services that help in transactions should include important activities needed for running their type of blockchain, aka Hashgraph, like staking, which is a way to support the network security. So again, talking about staking, staking rewards and how that is perceived by the IRS. Hedera argues that staking, a key part of keeping you know these networks secure, should not be classified as a broker service. They argue that software for self-managed digital wallets, which lets users control their digital assets securely, should not be included in the rules for broker services. Um, and really, Hedera is trying to avoid a scenario where layer one blockchain infrastructure, you know, like Hashgraph, um, are inaccurately classified as brokers under the new IRS regulations. Specifically, what they're concerned about is um, being wrongly classified as a broker could lead to confusion and inappropriate application of rules meant for traditional financial intermediaries. And this misclassification could impose regulatory and reporting burdens that are not relevant to their operations. So this is really Hedera taking a proactive approach of, hey, are we running into a bit of a brick wall here as an industry? Um, such a misclassification could hinder their ability to efficiently operate and innovate especially in areas like transaction processing, message validation, and staking, which are crucial for these networks, and incorrectly applying broker regulations to blockchain infrastructure providers could have broader implications, potentially stifling growth and development of the technology as a whole, limiting its benefits in various sectors. So that's basically what's happening. And it's important that, you know, again, these proactive types of communications directly with the government are happening. It's good to see Hedera out in front with that. But um, there was a great uh, post that was done by at Sway 3 on Twitter that said, quote, in my opinion, this is why Hedera hasn't launched community nodes yet. They are trying to get the legal aspect situated considering Swirls Labs is based in the U.S. 
I think community nodes are ready and just need the green light from Hedera's regulatory team. So that could make sense because a lot of this letter is around concerning, um, you know, not having these network functions and rewards and staking in these different types of mechanisms classified as Hedera being a broker. If that were to happen, it would definitely impact the ability for community nodes to exist and in what capacity. Um, so I've heard it argued both ways that this really doesn't have anything to do with community nodes, but I just wanted to bring that up because it is interesting. I do think that when we talk about community nodes um, and even permissioned nodes and the potential threat of the IRS um, classifying Hedera as a broker, um, that could definitely have a negative impact on that. So uh, is this kind of what's happening? Is, you know, are we waiting for that that regulatory clarity? For example, if the IRS were to respond to Hedera or provide some communication in that regard or clarification, would it be, you know, a green light? And would we shortly then see, um, you know, expanded decentralization on Hedera take place? Who knows? We'll find out. Um Something else interesting. I saw Solo C say listening in earlier, longtime listener of the show, CEO of Galaxy. Um, if he's around or if any, you know, Solo, hop back in. I'm curious about your opinion of this. But basically, um, we've seen some big exchange shakeups recently in the crypto space. The first one that happened that I'll just touch on is regarding Bidrex. So Bidrex Global, um, obviously a very large exchange. You know, I believe, you know, pretty loved exchange. They, they, there hasn't been like a ton of controversy, tons of controversy around Bitrex, but they are closing their doors December 4th, um, which was kind of came as a shock. And, you know, the impacts here are kind of twofold. One, just me personally, as I, you know, as folks know, I'm in Canada. You know, a lot of exchanges, crypto exchanges in Canada aren't necessarily exchanges that manage their own order books. They're brokers. And so the exchange that I use uh, uses Bidrex for their order books. So the exchange that I use, um, I can't really use right now. It's not quite safe to with the knowledge that Bidrex is, um, you know, sunsetting. And so that was interesting. And then the other interesting, well, I guess not interesting, but bummer thing was um, we talk about Dovu on the show a lot. And Dovu has been working on a Bidrex listing for, I think at this point, maybe years. Um, and it's it's very expensive to get listed on Bidrex. Um, they had to pay to get the original token listed. They did their token migration. Um, they then had to relist. So that's a lot of money. And they got listed on Bidrex like 20, 21 days ago, which was very exciting. And so with this news, you have a project like Dovu going, well, why would have they accepted our application if they knew that they were no longer really going to be in business? Um, why would they take their our money, you know? And does it mean that bid that this was a really kind of spur of the moment um, rushed decision to spin down the exchange? Um, 
what is the, you know, it's, it's just, it's very unfortunate for projects like Dovu. And I think speaks to a larger issue of the ease of listing, um, Hedera token service assets, HTS assets, right? Um, tokens that are minted directly on Hedera to get those listed on certain exchanges, it can be difficult. So there is still a lot of friction and I think this illustrates it uh, pretty succinctly. So obviously Dovu is looking for more exchanges to list on, but it's obviously going to come up against a lot of friction. Um, so, you know, pour one out for Bitrex. Um, the other one is uh, Binance uh, or Binance, um, however you want to pronounce it. Um, Binance uh, had, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say an interesting uh, kickoff to the week. Um, so basically by the, the, the Coles notes here is Binance is going to be exiting the U S by 2028. Um, and it turns out that in a press conference yesterday, um, basically, you know, they, they're, they're, the Binance system matched U S users with those in Iran leading to at least 1.1 million illegal transactions valued at $900 million. Um, Binance is set to pay $4.3 billion in fines as a part of a settlement with the U.S. Department of Justice. And CZ, the founder of Binance, has stepped down as CEO and pleaded guilty to violating anti-money laundering regulations, now facing 18 months in prison recently, um, is on bail at $175 million. So a very uh, tumultuous uh, situation with Binance. Um, and Binance, the company faces three criminal charges, including conducting an unlicensed money transmitting business, a conspiracy charge, and violating the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. Um Binance plans a, uh, plans a complete exit from the U.S. market. This decision includes paying billions to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and the Office of Foreign Assets Control as part of a settlement with the uh, with Department of Justice. And I believe these funds will also be used for uh, and put towards um, the uh, FTX uh, customer uh, funds being lost because it was decided again by the U.S. government that Binance played a big part in that unfolding. So big mess. Uh, you know, I think that the news definitely had an impact on the markets. We saw a big downswing um, in most assets um, now recovering in some respect. Um, and I think that in general, you know, this type of news uh, is, is a on in one way continuation of the type of news we've seen throughout this bear market for sure. Uh, but in another way, um, you know, this is the largest crypto exchange um, in the world. With this news, they saw outflows of, I'm pretty sure over, a, you know, $1.5 billion, I think, last I read, from their exchange. Um, so it definitely creates a bit of a, a void. There's a lot of conspiracy theories around this involving, you know, uh, Black Rocks specifically, um, and just you know, from from my personal purview, I'm looking as a Canadian. I'm going okay, you know, my as I said, my exchange uses uses Bitrex for 
Um, the order books, I can't really use Binance. I haven't been able to for a long time. So I kind of am like, you know, what do I do? And I feel a lot of roads are leading to Coinbase. So I think Coinbase could potentially be in a position to capture a lot of that market share. So definitely a shakeup. Um, I think the real winners here are, you know, Wall Street, of course. I think Binance definitely created a bit of a bottleneck for Wall Street's um, foray into crypto, which I think a lot of people are excited about for sure with this, you know, the Bitcoin ETF and these different types of things. But Wall Street's entry into crypto will come at a cost. And this is a this is an example of one of those things. And again, not to speak to, you know, uh, CZ's character or Binance as an organization or Binance, uh, but, you know, I think that this is just kind of a, a sign of the volatility that's yet to come and, you know, something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Um, the other element to this story is a lot of H barbarians, you know, a lot of hash graph enthusiasts are going, wait a minute. Um, in a couple days, H bar is supposed to be listed on Binance Japan, right? That's a big, big piece of news. H bar is going to be made available to a, to a massive, uh, market. And a lot of people are very excited about that. So with this news, people go, oh my God, is this going to impact HBAR's journey onto Binance Japan? So Binance Japan, of course, you know, plans to list 13 new cryptocurrencies, including HBAR, for spot trading starting November 27th as part of its expansion to offer up to 100 new tokens or sorry, up to 100 tokens in Japan. So Binance Japan operates as a separate entity. Uh, Binance re-entered the Japanese market by acquiring Sakura Exchange Bitcoin, a regulated entity in 2022. This was after its independent license bid in Japan failed in 2018. So Binance Japan is definitely separate from Binance. So there's no direct mention of the charges against Binance CEO impacting Binance Japan's operation or its plans uh, for the HBAR listing. So I wouldn't raise any flags in that regard specifically, but um, just, you know, if there's any, we talk about this a lot, just before I move on to the next story is we talk about the risks of holding your crypto on an exchange, right? We talk about the risks of um, holding crypto on a platform, on a, on a custodial platform where you don't own your keys, now is a reminder again that there there is risk in holding your crypto on an exchange like Binance, like Coinbase, like any of these other exchanges. I feel like the ones that I list, there's a good chance that they're actually just ones that don't exist anymore. Nonetheless, please be careful and pay attention to where your crypto is because um, if it's not your keys... It's not your crypto, as they say. Um, Dell published a paper on distributed ledger technology and edge computing um, with a heavy, heavy focus on Hedera, uh, which is great to see Dell Technologies as well, as we know, is a Hedera governing council member. Um, so uh, in reference to this too, there's a McKinsey article uh, titled Investing in the Rising Data Center Economy, which had a few key points in it, one of which was 
Demand for data centers in the U.S. is projected to reach 35 gigawatts at 85 miles an hour, 88 miles an hour, uh, by 2030, doubling from 17 gigawatts. Sorry, gigawatts. I was just, I was just joking. The U.S. represents about 40% of the global market. Due to high energy consumption, there's a strong push for sustainable carbon-free energy supplies and data centers. This push presents investment opportunities in renewable energy solutions. So again, you start to think about you know things happening on Hedera a little bit. The need for real-time insights and data privacy considerations are driving the growth of edge computing, creating investment opportunities in smaller urban data centers. As demand rises, opportunities go beyond just operating data centers and co-location companies. They extend to areas like green power generation, cooling solutions, and modular solutions for edge data centers. Um, so that's kind of when we talk about opportunities and kind of energy and the growth of data centers. But when we look at this PDF from uh, Dell and kind of, you know, how it leans heavily on Hedera, I just wanted to break down um, a couple key points from this PDF. Um, and again, I'm going to have it on itsbrandond.com slash hbar um, to read the PDF. But basically... The document highlights how Adair's approach to governance, flexibility, and deployment options, and support for operational collaboration can facilitate enterprise DLT adoption, especially in the context of edge computing, which Dell Technologies has talked about quite extensively. The focus is on showcasing Hedera's strengths and contributions rather than uh, you know comparing it to other DLT solutions. This isn't kind of a paper that's like, you know, Hedera is better than this network or that network. It's really just about putting uh, Hedera as a network in context for edge computing. So identified use cases for enterprise DLTs included uh, management of data assets, data broadcasting, credential verification, and supply chain transparency. Implementation concerns uh, were performance time to finality, data consistency, and security of smart contracts. And this was in 2018. So really it was um, the industry back in 2018 really identifying what those key areas of, of utilization would be, right? Which are very closely aligned with what Hedera talks about. And then um, some of these risks and concerns, um, which again are things that Hedera talks about consistently. Um, so... Post 2018, you know, this is kind of a, a slow adoption phase. So despite optimism, and again, this is kind of from the Dell paper, um, enterprise adoption of DLT was, you know, lagging due to, uh, you know, perceived low business value and implementation changes. Um, and this is really interesting, including the quote, coopetition paradox, which is, uh, you know, complicated coordination among enterprises. So I love this phrase, uh, coopetition paradox. I didn't know this was kind of like an industry thing, but basically the coopetition paradox refers to the challenges of simultaneously cooperating and competing between companies, particularly in the context of implementing distributed ledger technology where collaboration is necessary for mutual benefit but can be complement, uh, complicated by competitive interests. So that's, I think, a, a theme and a trend that we're going to see continually amplified as 
the prevalence of DLT in enterprise continues that, you know, coopetition paradox. Um, so now they talk about, you know, recent uh, positive developments in edge computing and improved DLT governance across companies um, are making DLTs more feasible and attractive for enterprises. And I think this is a trend that's talked about quite frequently in the Hedera circle, but one that's interesting to see kind of detailed and outlined in this paper. Uh, they also, you know, talk about, you know, reasons and market growth saying, you know, uh, like DLT, you know, the DLT market is projected to grow significantly um, driven by the adoption of cloud and internet of things um, and the need for security and privacy and digital technology. So this is where a little bit of clarity was starting to emerge um, and really trying to understand, you know, what actual distributed ledger technologies are going to work for these particular use cases and address some of these risks that we talk about. And this is where um, Hedera, I guess, you know, 2020 starts to enter that conversation a little more acutely. Um, the DLT market is projected to grow significantly driven by the adoption of cloud and IoT technologies and the need for security and privacy in digital technologies. And they talk about specifically the flexibility of deploying on Hedera. So um, Hedera supports various deployment options like bare metal, leased hosting, virtual private servers, and cloud deployments uh, to cater to unique company challenges. And as we learned recently, Dell, Dell Technologies is responsible for um, a good portion of node development for Hedera. Um, their Dell hardware is cited as a bare metal option for a Hedera mainnet nodes, which is very interesting. Um, they specifically mentioned too, you know, that companies um, can draw on Hedera community experiences for security, risk assessments, compliance, and network configuration. Basically like, hello, you know, there's a pretty established ecosystem on Hedera now that has a wealth of expertise and it's wise for enterprise to kind of tap into that. Um, they also break down kind of the stages of deploying Hedera nodes, including installation, burn-in period, and integration into the mainnet. So it's nice also to kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and going like, well, how do you deploy a node on Hedera, right? How do you um, start to build out some of this infrastructure? And when we talk about the policy side of things, like, you know, the letter to the IRS that Hedera sent, you can also look at the technology side now and start to go, okay, so we can start to see a more clear picture of, you know, when this is going to happen, what does that exactly look like, which is very interesting. Um, and they talk about some of those um, node responsibilities, which is interesting, again, pulling back that curtain a little further. Um, so they talk about the responsibilities that Hedera has when it comes to nodes. Um, and that covers, you know, integrating with uh, a member's um, IT processes for support resolution. So, right, so if you're a governing council member or soon, you know, a, position, a permission node operator, um, providing regular reports um, on node performance and activity, um, and conducting updates to the Hedera code via automated processes on the mainnet without needing local IT staff involvement. So those are the kind of responsibilities on the Hedera side. And then the local team responsibility on the node side includes ensuring the availability of the host system, right? Keeping the node online, 
Um, monitoring for hardware failures, network performance and connectivity, right? Pretty standard. Managing backups and snapshots for disaster recovery scenarios. Again, pretty standard. And day-to-day -day management of the host, including regular operating system patching and integration into uh, their operation centers. So again, there's the, the, the responsibilities, methodologies, um, steps, details for how this network is going to grow and expand is in this PDF, right? Over 30 pages published by um, Dell. So really, really interesting, especially when you pair it with um, the, these kind of new regulatory and government um, type things. It, it kind of complete, paints a, a more complete picture. Um, now, uh, Reddit user um, vchain underscore, um, I believe, yeah, v great, great name, vchain underscore $10 um, on the Hedera subreddit, oddly enough, um, shared some interesting points that I'll just read verbatim just to wrap up this story. But um, they say, quote, Hedera is going to be used to enhance the security integrity of tens of thousands, then tens of millions, then eventually billions of edge computing devices all around the world in every industry. It's going to be the glue that links the edge and cloud together. So that's interesting and exciting. Um, and also says, continuing, quote, enterprises knew back in 2018 that DLT was groundbreaking, but the technology and society simply weren't ready at the time for adoption. It's the classic technology hype, hype cycle stuff. Uh, 2018 was the peak of inflated expectations. And for the five years afterwards, Hedera has been building the groundwork for the world to run on a hash graph. This is why it is going to be a surprise to everyone in the world during the next few years when Hedera suddenly is doing 100,000, then 1 million TPS. It's like the rest of the market is kind of stuck in 2018 or 2020 and doesn't realize just how much boring but essential work has been going on behind the scenes and how close we actually are to watching it all unfold. So uh, that's the quote from the Reddit user. I think that is a pretty good take um, and yeah, really interesting stuff. I'm excited to see what's going on and I really am happy to see, you know, governing council members like Dell publishing these types of papers, painting that more complete picture, pulling back the curtain a little bit. Um, our next story, second last story, is about the recent governing council meeting in Singapore. Um, it was a three-day meeting. Um, it was uh, kind of the, the, the next governing council meeting after the one at Google. Um, so obviously, you know, the governing council holds there are virtual meetings, but they do these in-person meetings where a lot of exciting things happen, um, most of which um, we are not privy to, um, and we'll find out about when the meeting minutes are published. But um, on the HBAR Bull Show, Rob Allen did um, a really you know great interview, kind of like divulging as much as he could about the meeting. Um, uh, most interestingly, as we saw. Um, Rob Allen started in the Hedera community. Um, he was at FPAS, who joined the governing council. So then he was on the governing council. Um, then he moved on to the HBAR Foundation. Um, then he moved on to the Hashgraph Association. Um, then FPAS, um, you know, in Australia and all these other leading payment, uh, you know, solutions 
were all kind of amalgamated in, under one roof uh, called Australian Payments Plus. And so now Rob Allen is leaving the association after eight months and is going back and joining Australian Payments Plus and effectively rejoining the governing council. So people were wondering, why is Rob Allen at the governing council uh, meeting in Singapore? Well, he's rejoined the governing council um, at Australian Payments Plus. So that's really exciting. That's really fascinating. Um, Rob Allen has definitely been one of definitely been one of the most candid and forthcoming uh, members of the governing council. And kind of when you talk about the kind of upper echelon enterprise folks within the ecosystem, you know, Rob Allen is kind of our guy on the inside. It feels like a lot of times. So um, basically, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, H bar bull show has that shark bite segment. Rob Allen's going to be continuing on that segment, but as a governing council member, which is pretty cool. Um, he basically said, you know, there was updates from all the different committees. Um, the CorpCom, the corporate utilization committee, um, has one of the best attendances on the council. Um, he can't say anything about the membership committee, um, but Rob has a big smile on his face regarding the pipeline. So he says specifically, watch this space. The pipeline's looking great and new council members are coming from new sectors specifically, which is very interesting. Uh, the HBAR Foundation shared some good updates. Um, he said again, just kind of uh, reiterating that, you know, Hedera, the LLC, is doing a lot of work in regards to policy, like we talked about earlier in the show. So they're continuing that. Um, they also, this was interesting to me too, they had external partners and use cases sharing what they were working on, including Hyundai. And Rob Allen kind of expressed um, surprise in the amount of external partners and use cases that he just wasn't aware of. Um, so that was interesting to know. Um, he specifically said to one thing, just touching on a little bit of sentiment that I found, um, you know, interesting was he said that in general, he's noticed layer one founders in the crypto space, you know, drifting away a little bit from their projects. And, and he's saying specifically, you know, when you look at Manson Lehman, um, really remaining completely dedicated to Hedera as an L1 at Swirls Labs, and really remaining humble, right? Like it, it's been five years and we don't have, you know, Lehman and Mance kind of popping off on Twitter constantly and generating controversy and um, letting things go to their head um, and trying to form their own, you know, personal brands and stuff like that. And I get that, you know, there's a need for hype, but when it comes to Mance and Lehman, um, those are two guys that, you know, they're really just dedicated to the network. They're building... They're focused on the fundamentals. They're focused on the substance side. I talk about it on the show quite a bit. They, you know, Hedera, Swirls, the foundation, the association, the governing council, they have the substance side of this stuff covered, clearly. Um, so the community, I think, you know, let's just run a little loose with the hype stuff. Um, I think we're okay to do that. Um, he all, Rob Allen also said that enterprise adoption is really organic from the outside. Again, kind of touching on that, that a lot of these things that are happening from an enter enterprise standpoint, you know, these guys aren't generally super aware of. It is pretty um, organic, which is which is exciting to see. Um, 
And that's really the takeaway. We're just going to have to stay tuned for uh, the meeting minutes to be published and, and do a breakdown of that, hopefully in an upcoming episode. Um, our last story of the day um, covers the Taekyun platform funded by the U.S. government. Um, and this is really exciting. I will I will say here that on the 1st, December 1st, um, which is an upcoming Friday, I'm going to have the founder of this platform, Dave, on the show for an interview. That'll be a Friday. Um, I had a chat with him in L.A., um, very fascinating guy, a true Hashgraph enthusiast, an OG, um, and working on a use case funded by the U.S. government that will be doing some very, very interesting things. Um, so let me paint a bit of a picture here. Currently, the average cost of a data breach in the U.S. is $9.4 million, and it's estimated that um, the big data market will be worth $230 billion by 2025. The risks posed by vulnerable data security are serious enough that the FBI director has stated that defending against ransomware attacks is comparable to the challenge of combating global terrorism. So this platform, uh, and I'm ho I'll figure out how to pronounce it right when I have Dave on the show, but it's uh, T-A-E-K-I-O-N, Taekyon, I'll just call it. Um, this is funded by the U S, uh, the United States, uh, department of energy, the department of defense and the national science foundation, right? So a bit of connective tissue between some of the communications that Hedera has been sending to the U S government there, just side note. Um, so Takeon's TFS Lite platform allows storing entire files and computer file systems on the blockchain, AKA Hashgraph, ensuring encryption immutability, and tamper-proof security throughout the data lifecycle. Data breaches are costly and pose uh, serious security risks. Traditional storage solutions like you know, cloud storage or blockchain are not fully secure or immutable. So Takeon aims to address these vulnerabilities. So their TFS Lite platform offers easy-to-drag-and-drop file uploads, one-click downloads, and permanent URLs for stored files. It's designed for rapid storage of any file size right on the blockchain or hash graph. Takeon's network uh, created for protecting critical data has been peer reviewed and tested in high stakes environments, including with the US Air Force. Um, another little sidebar there, you know, Manson Lehman both come from the United States Air Force, so very interesting there. The system employs a hybrid public permission structure, which we talk about that concept on the show before, uh, for secure and private file storage with ongoing enhancements for scalability and data replication. TFS Lite includes fast data engines, integrated consensus mechanisms, full distributed blockchain storage, and content-based addressing to enhance file security and integrity. Takeon offers personalized file access, supports files of any size, provides robust control over file privileges, and allows users to update, append, and delete files on the blockchain. So this is really interesting stuff. And, and just kind of as I described, you can already start to think of potential use cases for this. Um, and because of the way the system works and kind of the decentralized nature of it and the fact that it's not centrally hosted, um, you you can look at you know how a lot of these security risks can be mitigated 
And because it's leveraging Hedera with kind of that speed, um, the inherent um, security of Hedera, just in you know regards to the fact that it's fairly ordered, it's ABFT. Um, you know, this there's no you know, there's no run wonder why the U.S. government is funding a project like this and uh, will be using a project like this, and that it's being stress tested by organizations like the U.S. Air Force. So, very interesting stuff. And what I wanted to do on this story is just kind of bring a bit of context into it, um, how it works and a little bit of maybe like a user story that's maybe not something crazy in enterprise, but something that anyone could relate to, to kind of get an idea of how this platform could work. So imagine you have a valuable family photo that you want to keep safe and unaltered for years. You decide to store it in a special digital vault called TFS Lite, right, from Tachyon. And here's how it works in simple terms. You drag and drop your photo into the TFS Lite system, just like you might upload a photo to social media. Once uploaded, TF TFS Lite turns your photo into a series of secure digital blocks. Each block is unique and protected in a way that it can't be changed or tampered with. These secure blocks are then stored across multiple separate digital locations. This means that even if one location has issues, your photo remains safe and intact in other places. Whenever you want to see your photo, TFS Lite brings all these blocks back together and shows you the picture just as you uploaded it. Because of the unique way that it's stored, you can be sure the photo hasn't been altered in any way. If you want to share your photo, TFS Lite gives you a special link. Anyone with this link can view the photo, but they can't change it. So as you can kind of see, you know, when it comes to all the different types of data that needs to be stored, um, you know, secured, um, and, and just leverage that data provenance aspects that a DLT like Hedera can bring, you can already see kind of the, the the value prop of this use case. So a very fascinating one, a very substantive one. Um, and like I said, um, I'll be interviewing um, the leader of this initiative, David, or Dave, um, on December 1st, Friday. That's the kind of tentative date that I have uh, for that interview. So I'm looking forward to that. It should be a very interesting conversation. Um, and with that... The week continues before I share my quick thoughts uh, for the week. A huge shout out to everyone listening live on X Spaces right now. Another shout out to everyone listening to the recording on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And an extra shout out to all the supporters of the show. The contributions mean so much. Um, thanks again to John Wingate uh, of Bank Social for hopping on earlier in the show to share an exclusive first look at what they're working on. Uh, right? I should say an exclusive first listen. Uh, really fascinating stuff on there. We talked about a lot on this show um, this week, which was great. Um, and I think that, you know, the title of this show, Resistance is Futile, <laughs> um, obviously a reference to the Borg in Star Trek. You know, I think that like I was talking about uh, throughout the show, when we look at, you know, what Mance said that, you know, the catalyst for a bull market would potentially be Wall Street. Everyone's excited about this Bitcoin ETF. Everyone in the crypto community is very interested in um, Wall Street entering the space. It's clear that 
distributed ledger technology, it's not a matter of if, but when it's adopted by um, enterprise, governments, um, institutions, uh, and that comes at a cost in some respects. And I think we see that, especially this week with, you know, certain exchanges going under, um, whether, you know, whether you look at it as, you know, they committed crimes or this and that, um, it's definitely, um, you know, when I say resistance is futile, I mean it on both fronts, just in regards to the adoption and progress of DLT, but also in the power and determination of governments in their own agendas. Um, it's, it, you could, you could say, you know, a, a, an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. You could use all sorts of different analogies, but I think that what we're witnessing right now is, is a, is a pressure building. And ultimately I think a pressure that will, the, the release will be the form of a bull market when that happens. We don't know, but what we do know is that that pressure is building at, um, a rate that appears to be a little quicker than we anticipated. And when we look at it from a Hedera Hashgraph HBAR purview, um, you really start to want to paint yourself a bigger picture about what exactly is happening in this ecosystem, right? As we know, Hashgraph is different from blockchain. Hedera is a very different um, entity a very unique entity in the crypto industry that is taking a very counterintuitive approach um, in comparison to other crypto startups and other L1s. And so um, just to say again, you know, last week we did episode 100 of the show, um, you know, definitely go and listen to that episode. It's three and a half hours long, but it's worth it because we go back and we, we uncover and review um, all of the stories of the last year in Hedera in a way that ties everything together um, and does paint that complete picture that is important to be able to see as all this craziness starts to happen. Because we forget a lot of the things that have happened, um, all the different updates all the different scars that this network and this ecosystem has um, taken on, um, all this scar tissue that's been built up, um, this hardening that's happened, um, it can start to, you know, allow you to start to um, look forward and make certain predictions and assumptions that might be a little more accurate than you would be able to normally. So, and also we had like 14 guests on the show. We did a giveaway. It was very fun. Go listen to it. It was a ton of fun. Episode 100 last week. Um, and with that, that is a wrap for the Hashgraph Enthusiast News episode 101. Resistance is futile. Broadcast live on Spaces every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and made available on all major podcast platforms, including YouTube, the following Thursday, so tomorrow. Uh, and yes, stay tuned for some interviews. I'm going to be doing some interview episodes, which will be great. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, you can send an HBAR contribution to enthusiast.hbar using your Hedera wallet. The show's full Hedera address is in the podcast show notes. YouTube description and in the pinned post at the top of the spaces. 
Um, get all the info you need about the show at itsbrandond.com slash hbar. And I'll see you next Wednesday for the news. As usual, for everyone listening live right now, if you see someone you don't know, hit their profile picture, give them a follow, um, you know, shoot them a DM, ask them what's going on. I guarantee you that you've got something in common. And if you see someone that you do know, and maybe you haven't talked to them in a little while and you see them listening, take a moment right now, hit their profile picture um, and uh, shoot them a DM. Same thing. What's new? What's going on? I guarantee they got something new going on. Um, And with that, hello future, goodbye past.